Hey, it's the Schwarzenegger. I need your clothes, your boots, and your podcast device. Why? Because this October, on the Films and Swearing Movie Podcast, the boys will be reviewing all five Terminator movies. Yes, all five. Even Rise of the Machines, Talk to the Hand, and Search Films and Swearing on your podcast apps, iTunes, Skynet, and Stitcher Radio, or visit filmsandswearing.com. If not, consider it a divorce. That's fucking Tom Rico. Fuck you, asshole. Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 19 on Sweet Dream. This is the oldest Korean movie with recorded sound in existence. Uh, that is also the shortest Korean movie I've ever seen, and hence maybe the shortest episode we're ever gonna record. But brevity is an art, and uh, that is not practiced today necessarily, especially not in Korea. Which is my immature joke, but it's also the truth that uh, Korean movies are pretty long. This is 48 minutes, but uh, at any rate, the movie is Sweet Dream from 1936. So with me to discuss really old-timey cinema is Hangul Celluloid's Paul Quinn, who might still have sweet dreams of our lead actress in even this movie, because he likes his women. So is this your kind of evil Korean woman? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, halfway through, you just look at her and just think, look at her eyes, look evil, evil, love it. Then it's automatic approval already at this point. Oh, yeah, totally. I've got a lot to say about the actress as well. Well, briefly, but a lot to say, so we'll we'll come to that later on. Let's uh, jump into a brief contact information first of all, and this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fine Network. You can find us, all the other shows on various uh, countries' cinema, including Hong Kong, Japan, Sleazy Cinema, and even Ninja Cinema, uh, with uh, Godfrey Ho's name attached to them, that you all love. And it's available on that very site, podcastonfire.com, along with bonus episodes. Me and Paul have recorded some and we uh, plan to do so in the future again. Reach us on email if you have any questions or feedback. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com We have a presence over at Facebook, like our page, and join the discussion group as well to uh, follow the chat and regular discussions as well as show updates, and those links will be available in the show post. Our Twitter handle is at PodcastOnFire. On the other hand, I write reviews over at SoGoodReviews.com. I cover Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, adult Hong Kong really, and uh, even ninja cinema again, Godfrey Ho. But uh, I provide uh, most genres get a coverage over at SoGoodReviews.com in the big review form and quick take review form. And I video review at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle 
Hopefully it's at so good reviews. And What's Korean Cinema is available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe. And if you have the time, please leave a written comment as well. And you can leave a written comment on Stitcher Radio, which is the way to stream the various network shows, including What's Korean Cinema. Do that over the, over at their website. But the best way to, to stream us is via the applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play, and they're free as well. But let's throw over to you, uh, Hangul, Celluloid, uh, plug away, and uh, I don't know when uh, this episode is going to be out necessarily, but is it uh, time to, at least on this show, uh, verbally announce the fact that uh, you're career-bound? I think it really is, because if I don't announce it, I'm going to explode. I'm Paul. I've run HangleCelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HangleCelluloid. I'm on Twitter at Twitter.com slash HangleCelluloid. Um, I also write for Neil Magazine, but HangleCelluloid.com is where you're going to find everything. You know, my Twitter feed and everything's all in there. But yes, I'm going to Korea in October. Why? Why? Don't go anywhere. Don't go outside. Listen, I, I sat in front of the TV for a night going, why? Why? As well. There is an organization called COFIS, Office of International Cultural Exchange in Korea. And I got an email from them and it just said, Dear Hangul Celluloid, you have been chosen to cover the Busan International Film Festival and the Asia Song Festival. Clear your schedule. We're flying you to Korea in October. End of the email just said, is that okay? Just like, how do I reply to this? Well, first of all, I have a name, so fuck you. Like, dear Hangul Cellular, my ass. <laughs> well, yeah, totally, you know. So um, I spent a day looking for the dodgy link in it that proved it was spam and thinking it was just a wind-up, etc., etc. Turns out it's actually true. So I will be going for 10 days to cover Busan and the Asia Song Festival. And considering the fact that my site does film and only film, that's going to be quite something new, really. A challenge, a creative challenge. A creative challenge. So I think they're going to film a load of it and I've got to take a video camera over and I want to do a sort of a daily diary, you know, of Paul in Korea. Whether that'll work out or not, I don't know, but should be fun. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away as you having to look at my Facebook feed is constantly seeing pictures of, oh, look, I'm going to Korea. Oh, look, I'm going to Korea. But it's quite a big deal. Oh, congratulations. Your hard work is uh, paying off. And like this is no, no random send out. You know what I mean? Like they, they probably did contemplate and looked at your content and realized that you're, as I, I always say, you're coming at it with heart, sincerity and knowledge and passion. And that's not something that you can find in all Korean review websites out there. So, like, uh, I think they made a cool and special and good selection, my friend. So uh, that's going to be cool for you. Very, very nice of you to say so, Ken. What's my invitation? Uh, well, you I see, cover I Korean got... movies as well. Like that, uh, so good reviews guy. He out. <laughs> Thing is, I mean, they could have. You know, there's so many bigger sites in the states and what have you so i'm a bit i'm a bit blown away but i've already got a list of people who every time i meet them go so are you gonna put me in your suitcase and i'm like no you're not coming no so we we shall see it should be it should be fun and let's move on to the content of this episode and uh, let's do the rundown first of all because we have a few sections even in this short episode for a rather short movie as we said but we are going to provide running times for these sections so that you can jump ahead to any such uh, you want to listen to if you want to jump ahead to the review immediately the running times will guide you and they turn up in the iTunes 
podcast app or the iPhone podcast app uh, if you download the show and tap the show art. So yeah, if you listen to the podcast via the phone or uh, device, you can see the running times that way or go to the website, obviously. But anyway, as for the content, first we'll briefly speak of Sweet Dream's background of being discovered, its themes and importance, followed by a bio on director Yang Ju Nam. And finally, we review Sweet Dream. So let's get into it, Paul. The oldest movie is talky in existence, and I think that's still uh, true as of first uh, of August, twenty fifteen, right? Yeah, pretty much. And it's from nineteen thirty six, as we said. A plot from Paul's review of the film: Ai Sun is a wife and mother of an only child, but the responsibilities and expectations placed upon her by both her family and society at large sit none too well against her personal needs as a woman leaving her detached and sullen and aching for a means of escape from the fam- familial ties that bind her. That's me being a poor reader, that's not you being a poor writer. <laughs> the opportunity to do just that presents itself on a visit to a department store, and no sooner does a random man try to, do- try to seduce her there than she, without hesitation, jumps at the chance to leave her family behind and be appreciated as a woman in her own right. The sexual being that she has been forced to hide for so long, finally coming to the fore and escaping its moral shackles. However, having having ignored numerous warnings about the inevitable outcome of such adulterous behavior, Aisun is soon to come face to face with the consequences of her self-serving actions, the fallout from which impacts not just her family in general, but also on her daughter specifically and ultimately herself. Uh, like I gotta end in a trailer man voice from the director of Come Sweet Dream from 1936. They should really do that. It would fit really well. They probably could, but uh, like, like I normally detest, you know, when DVD companies and Blu-ray companies try to make an updated trailer for the kids. I often detest that. Uh, I remember watching the new trailer that Fortune Star cut for the classic Hong Kong movie Rouge, which is a very calm and atmospheric ghost romance partly set in 1920s partly set in modern times and uh, the new trailer tried to amp up the horror factor it just looked artificial across the board so yeah like, like, i like yeah, i like the original better but anyway background we're going way back here into an era where movies uh, were shown during the time but then got lost along the way for a variety of reasons film preservations being lost uh, during uh, wartime and what have you sweet dream aka lullaby of death or death's lullaby thankfully does exist it was uh, rediscovered as late as 2006 in China by the Korean Film Archive. And it is, in fact, the oldest Korean, well, was the oldest Korean film in existence until they discovered the movie Crossroads of Youth, which is actually a silent film and is uh, older. But Sweet Dream therefore holds the title, if you will, of the oldest Korean movie in existence that was recorded with sound. It's not live sound, as far as I I, uh, I could hear. It still sounded like, uh, or, or maybe it was just out of sync. They, they couldn't sync it up, but uh, it, it is indeed a talkie, so there you are. No, no, I mean, it's definitely, it's post-dubbed. I mean, Korean stuff continued to be post-dubbed right up into the 50s, so there's no way it was never live. But, you know, and it does lag a little bit, but if you're watching it online, you sort of, you get used to that anyway, so... It doesn't. It, it certainly doesn't detract from it. I've seen movies in worse conditions that were made 
10 20 years later you know what i mean like yeah so so it's pretty um it's pretty like yeah that they could transfer it without it breaking <laughs> you know what i mean like even the housemaid is in worse condition at in parts very much so yeah it is the debut film of director Jang Joon-nam and considered important for its showcase of so-called film grammar in development as this is not working from established rules of shooting and editing but it's it's kind of paving the way or also making decisions during production based on the instincts for drama so it's not working from cliched templates uh, technically and to quote the Korean film archive um, this is what they said about the movie, that it's also an insight into discourses on new women and modernity during the Japanese colonial era. And here comes the question, because I'm dumb. I'm too dumb to understand any of this. So, Paul. No way. <laughs> I, I review pornography, as you know, so I'm pretty much uh, like out of the loop. What does this mean, this term new women and put it in if you can put it into context for this movie and the japanese colonial era in korea i mean the film's notes talk of depiction of women buying expensive things but then switching to maternal content in a way to reduce the portrayal of these women's or this woman's vain and moral so you have the question in front of you what is to say about new women well i mean if you think back to before this film if back to theater and whatever else even normal society women were expected to grow up get to their late teens fall in love marry a man give up their entire life look after their husband bring up children the children and the husband were their existence that was all that was important um, and if you did that you were great for family you were great for your yourself you were great for korea this new woman thing as the Japanese colonial thing took over and even westernization and modernization started to ease its way in. Women started to see that they, they were individuals. They wanted to be able to go out on their own. They wanted to be able to buy nice things rather than, oh, I've got to get food for my husband. That's all that matters. And this new woman thing by the authorities, if you like, was considered almost evil. You know, they were... They were self-serving, therefore the family was going to implode. If the family was destroyed, that would essentially destroy Korea. And in terms of, of Japan, Japan was trying at this point and beyond to merge Korea and Japan together. They got to the point where Korean language was banned, where films, as we'll talk about, actually had to promote Japanese ideology for a woman to look out for herself it was almost seen that she was going to destroy what was little was left of Korea. So this new woman thing was almost modernization is going to kill us. We're going to end up destroyed. Korea will no longer exist. We'll be Japanese, if anything. So that's, that's sort of this whole new woman thing. It was essentially modernization and, oh, modernization is evil. And uh, no, I, I hate to be personal, so I'm just going to... Uh, briefly dip into it uh, um it's th that's not a bad idea obviously I i've never been a fan of uh, gender stereotyping in mm. life in life or in movies so individuality and men and women meeting and communicating and not falling into such roles is uh, something that furthers anyone you know what i mean like it's uh, totally. it's it's like uh, i'm i'm not trying to squeeze your opinion out of it i'm just saying that uh, i think it's not a bad thing it's certainly not evil and 
Unfortunately, in my uh, sparse uh, socializing, I've seen, even in 2015, gender stereotyping going on. It's uh, not pretty, in my opinion. Very, very much so. And I mean, I'm not behind the door and giving my opinion on it either. You know, three-eyed Korean cinema, because that's my focus. Every time women come forward and women change to become individuals, you know, I'm jumping for joy in the chair. If they're actually evil and murder someone, all the better in movies. All, all the better, because, you know, that person probably deserves it anyway. But the other film we're going to talk about, that's part of the reason I wanted to link it to this, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, I mean, as you say, even in 2015, you know, I'll meet up with a Korean girl who'll be talking about when she was back home and how the fact she's not married is getting her sort of dodgy looks from older friends from older generations of family because she she's still not done this old woman thing. Um, so, you know, it certainly hasn't died. It hasn't gone away. So even when they were talking about this as early as 1936, it's it's quite something. It, it can spark yeah, conversation even in 2015. So uh, that's a good thing. So talking of director Yang Joo-nam, uh, born in Seoul in 1912, he entered the Jong Song studio with the help of two brothers and he came to learn editing and uh, as is true for even modern tales of breaking into the movie industry, Yang climbed the ladder and worked as an assistant director within a year of joining the studio. By the time Sweet Dream came around, the studio had been producing movies with sound for a little while and it was the sixth one and Yang's first as director. And funnily enough, he stopped directing movies for 20 years after this point so that's my question to you do you know if there's a story behind that any controversy any ban on the filmmaking well there i mean there are two sides to this when when sweet dream came out it was seen as hugely revolutionary it was it was hugely controversial it shocked audiences if you think in terms of what it is the authorities or the industry were actually really into it because it depicts this woman who goes out, becomes a modern woman, becomes self-serving, and it all goes horribly wrong. And from their point of view, that's what they wanted to underline, the fact that, yes, this will happen, this is bad, family's everything. So they were happy, but audiences were absolutely shocked that she would be so forward, that she would be, you know, throw away her family, that she would just walk away from her daughter. That is the first part of it. The second part is that shortly after Sweet Dream because we there was still Japanese colonization, there was a thing called the Korean Film Act that was brought in, which said that films had to promote Japan, that had to follow Japanese ideology. So films like this just wouldn't have been allowed to have been made anymore. And essentially, if you look at Yang Junam's career after this, he went off and he... he edited he did cinematography for other directors who were doing essentially japanese propaganda and he never made anything of his own and i honestly i can only guess but i honestly believe that he waited until all that had passed when he could make the sort of film that he wanted to make i think for that that last period of colonization and just into independence he just thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. I can't do it anymore. Therefore, I will edit these films that I don't care about and I'll make money and I'll live and we'll deal with it all later. Now, I mean, I'm guessing at that, but it seems as soon as it says, oh, he retired for 20 years and just did editing. When he comes back, he's doing the same sort of films and it's in a period when 
they could get away with doing that sort of film. Right, right. And and indeed, you said that he uh, he went on to work as editor, cinematographer, and even sound recordist for such directors as uh, Choi In-Q and Bang Hang-Joon and Lightning Fire Round, as these things are. Are those two directors notable directors in the history of Korean cinema? Very much so, but not in the way you'd think. If you look at Choi In-Q, his two biggest films, I guess... Viva Freedom, you know, if you go to any historical film series or anything talking about, you know, the the freedom of Korea, the independence, the blah, 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 it's always mentioned. And that was his big thing. It should also be said that Choi Yen-Q taught Shin San-ok. That's where Shin San-ok began. So if it hadn't been for him, Shin San-ok wouldn't have perhaps got to where he got so quickly. And we wouldn't have had Pulgasari as a result. <laughs> like, totally like negating Flower in Hell, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, but both him and Bang Han Jun, the other director you mentioned, essentially really did propaganda Japanese films. That that was sort of their deal. And Bang Han Jun's most favorite, most famous film was called A Soldier, which was almost a documentary where they went into what was supposedly the Korean army and filmed soldiers as they went through their thing. And it's essentially a a historical film that's still seen as vitally important, but just because it shows Japanese colonialism, etc., etc., and how Korea was moving away. So they're huge in terms of their importance, but Each of them made, what, you know, two commercial films. The rest were all just Japanese propaganda. And uh, as for Young, when he resumed directing, that was in 1957. Remember, Sweet Dream was 1936. And the movie he came back with was The Exorcism of Bei Beng Yi. And uh, he went on to helm such movies as The Bell Tower and The Mother's Love. So we throw over to you again, Paul, regardless if you've seen them or not. I'm sure you know of them. And were they showcases of an evolving director uh, from 57 and, on- and onwards? I think if you saw certainly A Mother's Love, you'd actually consider it was a different director because, as we'll talk about with Sweet Dream, there are a lot of things that really shouldn't work or aren't. It's some. It, it, it's an industry learning what it's doing. With A Mother's Love, it's a director who knows, who's worked in the industry for years, who is actually making a film having seen other films being made when Sweet Dream was made, that really wasn't the case. You know, before it, it was all essentially fictional documentaries, but they looked like documentaries. They were, there there was no drama. There was no proper framing. So it really seems like they're different and they're good films. I think A Mother's Love is on Koffa as well. It was the last time I looked, I think. And uh, yeah, finally, director Kim So Young was quote uh, saying of Young Junam's work. So quote: the images may seem to lack flexibility because they are so grammatically faithful, but the spirit of craftsmanship based on film technique that shines through in his works should provide a valuable lesson for those young directors who poorly imitate foreign films. Would you say that's fair? Very, very much so. I mean, as I say, with Sweet Dream, there are. There are scenes where he's definitely got an idea of what he wants and he's got one character interacting with another and in the corner there are two people that are just sort of standing motionless and they stare at their feet really for a minute 
for that whole scene and you just think what you got away with that but when you think back to the fact that that was the first time this had ever really been done yes it's it's lacking but he was really writing a rule book there were no rules he was making it up as he went along and it works quite well for what he did so yeah you know it does have craftsmanship and it does have oddities that wouldn't happen now but that was part of the deal probably not a bad thing that it was as short as it was having said that you you see obviously in hollywood as well at these times movies being less than an hour long and all of that but uh, it may be in the case of sweet dream being such a movie made in an industry in its infancy maybe it's not a bad thing that it was merely 48 minutes when all was said and done like maybe that wasn't a rule either that no that anyone was aware of that movies were a particular length I think that that's probably the case. And I, I also think, I mean, you mentioned whenever you went to, just before you are, as you were watching it, I remember you sent me a message saying, it says 48 minutes. Is that right? You know, it, it's not too, it's not too, it's not too hard. It broke, it broke my brain, Paul. That's what it did. Korea, 48 minutes, Korea, 48 minutes. And then I shut down like the system backfired. <laughs> but the amazing thing is when you sent me that message, I had to think for a minute and I was thinking, is it only 48 minutes? Because I didn't remember. I just, it struck me as a full movie and it still does. And when I rewatched it a couple of days ago, yeah, it's 48 minutes. It feels like a complete piece. I think it's the right length. Anything longer, an oh dear. Exactly. And uh, that leads us kind of into the review. And uh, for my short opinion, I can't put myself in the heads and the shoes of 1930s filmmakers. Uh, of course, uh, as we talked of just now, I don't think Young was aiming for a 90 or 120 minute movie. But it, it's amusing to me, like if you if you switch to nowadays, if, if a movie is this short and it's, it's an exercise in brevity, that would be considered style almost. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a rather good as an exercise in brevity. Uh, intentional or not and it gets to a point quickly and presents a rather dark story in an intriguing ma- manner I, I was on board with uh, the short drama that it is so so for the sake of uh, structure and discussion what do you want to say in short about sweet dream i love sweet dream i think it says exactly what it needs to say without padding without any messing about and it is it is rather forced i mean from the very very start she's so over the top she's so fake you just can't imagine a woman actually being that blatantly aggressive towards her husband whether whether it's in 1936 or not you know she's just sitting there he's reading the paper and saying yeah what do you need clothes for and she's just like i need the most expensive thing you you know that's kind of the theme of the movie and also why it's engaging because young places are us right into an seemingly already infected relationship she cares about image he kind of doesn't uh, he cares about her being a dutiful wife i suppose and you ask yourself kind of who is rational here because she is as you said so like bye bye image me 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 you wonder uh, is this going to be pleasant at all to follow it's like uh, are we going to follow such a an irresponsible negative character but that's not necessarily the case that she is uh, it opens up those questions essentially who is rational here is she right to like seek individuality and uh, identity and uh, pleasure? And, and of course, that's not a bad thing at all. But it really, it, as the movie rolls along, the things she walks into and steps into and uh, the kind of ideas that she holds on to, it's going to derail her as well. So uh, Totally. But yeah, one thing that often is quoted in the movie is uh, the imagery of the caged bird. 
as she says, like, I'm not a caged bird, or I feel like a caged bird. Cut to the caged bird. Obviously, looking at it today, it's on the nose. But it probably, uh, I'm taking a shot in the dark here. It probably wasn't standard movie language to show symbolism like that. This was new. This was massive. I would imagine a fair few people watched this and saw the bit with the birdcage at the start and thought, what, what's that? Why is there a birdcage? And then it got back to it. You know, I mean, that sort of us looking at it and going, oh, look, she's a caged bird. I think that comes from from what we've been used to seeing, from what we've known about film over years. People back then, I don't think, would have seen that. You know, I also love the fact that that first obvious birdcage thing is repeated later on when when she's with her other man. But there are two birds in the cage, so they're, you know, it's almost underlining it, saying, look, both of them, she's dragged this guy into the cage as well. So I think it works much better in the latter stages of the movie because of where it's placed. I'm trying to keep it there, kind of spoiler-free here, but uh, it is like easy to rewind to the time and think to yourself, that's probably not standardized artful language. So like, give the movie a break. And to be fair, I was never annoyed. I would just sat there, all right, I, I, I get it. And yeah. uh, if it was a 2015 movie by a veteran filmmaker who should know better, I probably would have been more annoyed, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. There there are interesting shots here when this whole, uh, it, it's kind of stage play-like, obviously, as they talk to each other. Although the shots are quite uh, varied, but I, I, I dig the shots before she storms out. She punches the mirror that he's reflected in, but it doesn't shatter, but it's a one of those mirrors that uh, tumbles. It's on a... 360 kind of thing, thing it spins that works for me still today you know i mean like it, it is going to as we know by the end uh, this movie and her is going to go through quite a tumble you know uh, quite a roller coaster so it's not too bad I, I that's one of the best shots in the movie i think whether he like super intended it or not or just fought on the spot like hey punch the mirror cut print moving on you know <laughs> i knew i knew you were going to mention that scene and i'm so glad you did because it's image wise it's my favorite part of the entire film it's one of those that's done without cutting away to anything else you know what i mean it's done within the dialogue which i think is why why it works much better i mean there a lot of these things have disappeared very few films are available but if you for example take a look at crossroads of youth if you ever get a chance the silent film the oldest one it's very face on it's people standing in front of the camera they're talking one moves away etc etc it's very standard and that scene with the mirror, you know, this whole ref- person reflected and having a conversation. And, you know, to me, that's cinematography actually in its infancy. That's him starting to do something that's never been done before. I was deeply impressed with it. Indeed, I, I agree. And uh, he, he makes us curious uh, in this. We make He makes us flip-flop in our decision uh, in terms of like, are we going to side with someone? Who are we going to side with? Because the husband doesn't seem terribly forceful you know what i mean it's one of those relationships that just feels infected and they're both kind of vicious to each other verbally mm. so and like when she walks into the department store you don't feel like what a liberation that she's asking for uh, something more expensive like it doesn't feel like my god revelation um liberation and or revolution and that's a good thing where you sit there and wonder like where is this going i'm interested where this is gonna go i'm not judging any characters because we are dropped in the middle of it and have to deal with it for 48 minutes and that's not negative at all actually and you keep up with it also that's the point it's we're not dropped into the movie to a point where so much has gone on that we haven't seen 
that it subsequently makes us confused. Not at all, not at all. And and also because it has two AKAs, or one AKA that's uh, referred to in a different way, Lullaby of Death or Death's Lullaby. There's obviously something lur- lurking here that's probably not going to be pretty, and that makes us curious as well. Same thing, I, mean, I guess what you can say what you want. It, it does have that AKA Lullaby of Death, which I assume was a, a subsequent thing because the actual Korean is Mimong, which is Sweet Dream. Mm-hmm. But same, same thing, if you look at that with such a lovely title, Sweet Dream, and it's an incredibly dark tale, and you look at the other film we're going to look at and you take its sweet title and take its content, it's exactly the same deal. Maybe this is because of the movies in like filmmaking infancy, but it's... Today, skipping certain scenes, and actually Lee Chang-dong does this quite well in Secret Sunshine, skipping certain scenes and letting us fill in the very tiny basic blanks that we need to is something that is done here, whether conscious or not, because she meets what is this thief in the store, but it's this thief that takes her purse and off-screen had returned it to her and then started the kind of relationship that way. He manipulates his way into, not her pants on-screen anyway, but... uh, we never see that. Uh, we still get it, you know what I mean? Those are blanks that are easy to fill in because we're talking, you know, we, we're not talking years of events between, <laughs> you know, one scene and another. It's it's very yeah. easy to fill in. And uh, it's actually something you can say about, as I said, Lee Chang-dong, in, in, at least in terms of Secret Sunshine. Very much. He He's an interesting character in a way, the thief. I don't remember his name now or, or if he was ever named, but... Not that I know of. You're curious about, and it may be argued that it's poor filmmaking, but I actually was curious about the fact that he says that he's super devoted to her and uh, super in love with her, even after meeting her for a few days, dating for a few days. And he also has his other agenda of uh, planning a robbery. So his uh, fellow fellow robbers, they are kind of questioning why, why his attention is elsewhere. Did you think that was a thread that was convincing at all, their relationship? Uh, I mean, I, I could buy it that he's distracted and also think that it's probably due to the fact that the filmmaking infancy, maybe. But uh, on the other hand, I might be making excuses for the movie at the same time. I think I think you maybe are. I, there's a lot of the statements and and even motivations that are a little bit mm, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he says I would die for her, so that's maybe hmm, right. Um, I haven't felt that necessarily that passion between them, you know. Yeah, I think that's just him getting a, a a little scene out of the way and sort of trying to underline the relationship, which hasn't really been shown. But I don't, I didn't really buy it. Um, but it doesn't detract from it in any way. No, because the the main thread that is quite substantial and uh, not shallow is the focus on the on the child. Mm. Not not that it preaches man and woman must be present for the child, <laughs> you know, but a unit must be present for the child. That's probably a good idea. Otherwise, things could break or shatter because she leaves so abruptly that she does. It certainly is quite felt as made because as young directs the little kid as she you know she sleeps and she asks for her mother and rather than having tons of crying scenes that that wasn't really affecting for me that um you 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 felt even in this short little movie this short exercise that there was like an internal break and shatter within the child you know very much so and I think that's them underlining the whole thing that 
you know, if the family goes, who's going to hurt? It's going to be the children are going to suffer. And it does work. It does do what it's meant to do in in very little time, which is a plus point. And uh, furthermore, there, there is that uh, big job that they planned. And uh, obviously, all movies can't be the greatest heist movie ever told. So I had, I, I had a little bit, little bit of possibly unfair chuckle at the fact that they just walk into a room, punch a guy, and take money. <laughs> On top of that, I love the fact that they'll punch a guy, punch him off screen, and then you'll hear all the. Boom! But you don't actually see it, so they don't actually have to worry about any big fight scene. It's just, it's happening. It's happening, and then it comes back as they run out. You know, that that works. It's like it's like there because they're, they're well-clothed men. Like, like they're not like these uh, grungy robbers that dress up for the robbery only. So I, I would expect something smoother. But hey, get it done in whatever way, I suppose. And they're not even masked or anything. They just walk into this uh, laundry establishment. Was that it? And uh, I think there was something akin to that. But regardless, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, they rob uh, they rob the bosses uh, counting today's uh, take. And uh, yeah. So that's that. So we have like off-screen violence and some on-screen push into a bed, you know. So it's not uh, like Jumbo Ping style action choreography here in 1946 or anything. And uh, but it, like it, it's there. You get that the robbery took uh, place and uh, that the thieves kind of front is uh, unraveled uh, for her. So um, because of her, you know, and. Uh, He's trying to sell her a rich front and all of that. So, and I guess him befriending her is uh, like spells doom for multiple characters here. And, and and you like come back to the fact that the second caged bird sequence, and I didn't see this, but the, but the second time it appears, you got two in there. So um, it, it's not a bad thread. Like you, you realize that it's been a downward spiral. And uh, we, we're not going to spoil what happens to the end, but boy, does it go to hell for... Oh, yeah. But 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 not like through even stings of music or anything. Um, like that film language is not developed either. Like when the big tragedy happens, it's barely noticeable because you can't... What? Uh, oh, oh, he uh, he choreographed a little bit of action um, and that that's what happened. Okay, gotcha. But it's not like it goes on the soundtrack because I, I don't think uh, that was something that um, was expected necessarily for everyone to get like <gasps> but they probably went <gasps> anyway. I would I would imagine they you know a lot of them went well that's that's right that's the way it should be you know I mean after all the things that have happened and the things that have been destroyed that's only right that it ends like that you know it it really gave me that feeling of going back to you know if this is what happens to a family then this is what should happen and it, it seemed quite a little bit preachy but it worked for me I, I i liked it and i liked the fact that what does happen is is very understated until they actually mention what it was and she has a rather good um like uninterrupted, uncut take of emotions that the actors play nice soon towards the end, um, which uh, I always enjoy nowadays too, uh, seeing actors act. What, just before you go on to whatever, that brings me to a very quick point about her. The actress, Munye Bong. Yes, we see her in Sweet Dream. You can't see her in many of her other films because they don't exist anymore. But at the time, she was the biggest Korean actress there was. She was huge. If you think of Jun Do-yeon, who's in Secret Sunshine that we're going to talk about in the next episode, what she is today, Munye Bong was back then. And just a 
few years, I think two, three, maybe four years after Sweet Dream, North Korea initialized the first big film studio, uh, invited South Korean actors and actresses to leave impoverished Korea and go to the North to have the benefits of, you know, the better society. And she went and she became North Korea's biggest actress for 15, 20 years. She was massive up there as well. So her being in this is one of the very, very rare times you get to see one of the biggest actresses of the time in South and later North Korea performing. And that scene at the end where she's crying sort of it shows she can act. North Korea, Korean movies availability with her, is that like 0% by now or, or, or are there some versions out there? I have not seen anything that she's been in that was done in North Korea. Nothing at all. It's like an invisible legacy thanks to a couple of factors here. Yeah, I would assume some of it still exists, but you're just not going to see it. She became a huge actress and she was in this, 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 but you know, you're not going to see it because it's it's North Korea and there's a there's a curtain thing. I would imagine at least when it came to Kim Jong-il, who was such a big, big movie buff, I would imagine he had, he would have had something to say about film preservation. Uh, I would imagine so. Regardless of the quality of the movies, uh, again, I don't know much about North Korean movies or if any of them are not propaganda. A lot of the stuff allegedly that she did up there was essentially propaganda, but that's what they did. You know, I mean, that studio that she worked for was actually set up by Kim Il-sung, his father. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine when he came into power, he'd have have really wanted to... you know, preserve everything that his father had done. Right on. And again, like my my, my final note is uh, the way it ends opens again discussion for in terms of if there is a blame game here where it went wrong. If you track back to the very first scene in the movie, if the wife was right, if the husband was right, if the wife was wrong and so forth. That's a strong point in the movie that it still um, creates those questions. And uh, I I don't think anyone can answer it uh, in a definite way. I kind of just look at it... um, what a shame that they couldn't resolve issues by talking, but it's clearly an infected relationship within a time where gender roles and stereotypes, if you will, are are what they were what they were. So maybe they had no chance of them meeting halfway. Any final note final note before we do the availability, my friend? I enjoy the drama. If you watch it, I hope you do too. It's decent quality, the acting's Fair to Midland, her scene at the end is great, but also Sweet Dream is a phenomenal film to explain road safety. (laughs) There is a scene in the middle where a teacher talks to kids about taking care on the road so you don't have an accident, you know, look left and right. And I just, I could almost see the Green Cross code man standing at the front of the room. Um, You know, you could almost cut that out and have it as... A road safety advert. It made me giggle. It's one of the things I remember about the film. So, you know, more than just the drama, road safety first and foremost. There's the quote for the upcoming, uh, the upcoming Blu-ray or something like, what is that quote about? Like, well, it's the greatest authority on Korean movies. I guess he's right. <laughs> he went to Korea after all. Well, there you go. He, he knows all about road safety. Which side of the road do they, do they drive on uh, in Korea? On the right, most of the time, from what I can gather. Okay, gotcha. As for availability, therefore, I'm not sure if the Korean archive, Korean film archive, put out the DVD or not. I didn't find anyone, but uh, after discovering the movie, that is. But it is available to watch for free. 
legally with English subtitles on Kofa's YouTube channel. And we'll link to the video in the show post. But uh, if you just search uh, Sweet Dream, a Korean movie or something like that, uh, then, then you're likely to find it uh, pretty much uh, instantly. And I'm glad that um, it's both subtitled, but thankfully for the people who discovered it, it, it has, far as I, I'm guessing here, but it has embedded uh, Chinese subtitles on this print because it was um, discovered in China. And thankfully, it was subtitled in Chinese because for a couple of minutes, the audio is almost muted. The, the soundtrack is not pristine. Thankfully, that Chinese support could be used to create a full translation for us. You know what I mean? Because this audio is nearly gone during a couple of sections. That's that. Uh, next time, we do more brief shows nowadays, as you know, rather than a double bill that lasts two and a half hours like a Korean movie. But we usually want to connect the movies chosen that we present to you nowadays two weeks in a row. So you'll hear, therefore, two weeks in a row, two shorter what's Korean cinemas. But... Paul is here to explain his, in his own words and spoiler-free how Sweet Dream connects to next week's movie that we've hinted at, of course, but it's proper to announce it. So which movie is it next week and how, in your words, does it connect to Sweet Dream? Next week's movie is Secret Sunshine by Yi Chang-dong, starring Jun Do-yeon and Song Kang-ho. And it links in my mind anyway, because the whole... It has women! Was- it has women, <laughs> women in big roles, and they cry a lot, which they actually do. Sweet Dream constantly goes on about this new woman and what happens when when a woman goes out and does whatever she wants. And for years after it, that carried on. It then moved on to a woman does something wrong and then takes revenge. And if you look at Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, etc., etc., even quite recently, it was always woman does something wrong, feels bad about it, wants revenge, and then almost allows forgiveness at the end. Secret Sunshine's a new deal because this woman had done nothing wrong and everything is thrown at her. She tries to find her way through and she can't. And the way we'll talk about the the whole political side of it because that's Yi Chang-dong's thing, but... Secret Sunshine was a new deal in terms of the new woman who who is completely innocent and who things go wrong for anyway. So that's sort of why I linked them, because they are complete polar opposites of the same thing. But it's also an excuse to talk about her again and him again. Yeah, totally. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, uh, your love for a director and a love for a leading lady, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing dodgy about that. And, uh, like, for the housemaid fans... She doesn't get her kit off in this one. Which is a rare thing for Jun Do-young. Is it really? <laughs> like, she's the biggest actress and everyone expects her to get her breasts out. Okay, that's that's rather... I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll mention that as well because there's something to be said about it. But wonderful actress. Doesn't need to get her kit off. She's just phenomenal. Right on. But uh, let's uh, finish off the Sweet Dream episode then with some brief contact information again. And this has been What's Korean Cinema? And that was, I guess, Korean Cinema to answer the question. Maybe that should be a sign-off or something. <laughs> now I know. Like, next episode I'll ask again because I'm memory is very short-term. Like, what's Korean Cinema? Well, Ken, I'm going to Korea so I can, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be able to tell you tenfold what it is. I come back. But anyway, it's been Korean Cinema, this uh, What's Korean Cinema, this, uh, this very podcast, and it's available on podcastnofire.com along with all our other shows and other shows on Hong Kong Cinema, 
Japanese cinema, sleazy cinema, and ninja cinema. You also find bonus episodes over there. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. You can contact us over at Facebook as well. Leave a like on our page where we mainly post show uh, when the shows come out. And we have a discussions over in the Podcast on Fire discussion group. And links to all of that is available on our website or just search for us. The, our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. So uh, follow our updates and uh, tweets over there as well. I write about Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, ninja movies, and a variety of genres over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I video review at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. Haven't examined yet how strong the ninjutsu cinema is in Korean cinema. <laughs> I only know of one, and I hated it, but it's not really a Korean movie. Ninja Assassin I watch with Rain. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, I know. Uh... It could have been great if it had been made 20 years ago when there was no CG blood. I, I totally agree with you. But that was a cartoon, but even as a cartoon, it was bad. Like, oh my... God, stop it! And uh, like uh, Rain, Rain's uh, career stalled after that one in America, anyway. So, <laughs> is it still around, by the way, Rain? Oh yeah, he's still doing what he does. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a huge Rain fan. Never have been, never will be. But you know, he does what he does well enough, I suppose. But yeah. Mm. There it is. We're available on iTunes as well. Rate and subscribe. What's Korean Cinema over there if you prefer to use iTunes as your podcast delivery system. And uh, stream us over on Stitcher Radio, either via their website or applications. The free ones available on the Google Play and the Apple App Store. And for reference sake, what's your URL, Paul? I'm at hangelcelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangelcelluloid. Twitter at twitter.com slash hangelcelluloid. Go to the site, have a look. Right on. So, this has been What's Korean Cinema? That was Korean Cinema. Let's see if I stick with that sign-off. Uh, but uh, for now, thank you everybody for listening and see you next week for our discussion and review of all things Secret Sunshine. So, I've been Kenny B and with me was Paul Quinn of Hang Hangout Cellular. See you later, guys. <laughs>